0: I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 87 in the Scriptures, Psalm 87 in the Pew Bible, page 627. Psalm 87, a psalm of the sons of Korah, a song. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion, it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her. For the Most High Himself will establish her. The Lord records as He registers the peoples, This one was born there. Singers and dancers alike say, All my springs are in you. That's Psalm 87. That's our text. In response to the preaching of the gospel, we'll sing that psalm together, all five stanzas of Psalm 87. Church of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we prepare to celebrate the supper of our Lord this morning, we are also eagerly anticipating the joining of new members, Shirin. Massa and Arnica and Maral. The church will have four more members today, the church here in Ancaster. Three of them will be eating and drinking the body and blood of our Lord together with us. Last Sunday afternoon, you may recall, we joyfully witnessed the baptism of little Jace Baker. So, on just a couple of Sundays from inside uh, the congregation and from the outside of the congregation, from generation to generation, we see the Son of God is gathering in His people. He's gathering together His one Catholic church. And that's exactly the theme of Psalm 87. Maybe that surprises you, coming from an Old Testament passage that The church-gathering work of Christ is on display, but when you look at the whole Scripture, we see that God has been gathering in His church ever since the day He created Adam. The church didn't start at Pentecost. It began in the Garden of Eden. And in Eden, after Eden, it continued in the line of Seth, Then Noah, then Abraham, and then the offspring of Abraham, eventually the whole nation of Israel, they were the church. They were God's people. God's church gathering work has a long history, and it has a great future. It's got a great goal, and God has a great goal in mind, and Psalm 87 is given to us by the Lord to reveal something of its stunning character something of that beautiful goal to which the Lord is bringing His church. This psalm prophesies of a future ingathering not just of the Israelites, but of all nations. Salvation certainly begins with Israel, but it ends with the world, with all us Gentiles. And so I may proclaim this word of the Lord to you, under this theme, born again in Zion. Born again in Zion, we'll see the relevance of Zion and the residence of Zion. When you read through Psalm 87, at first glance, it appears to be all about a city, a wonderful city named Zion. Zion. And verse 3 sums up the sentiment of the poet. Glorious things are spoken of you, O city of God. It almost comes across like an anthem for a city, Zion. Only when you, when you look at what the poet spends time praising about the city, it's rather surprising what he picks out and rather unique. He doesn't spend time praising this city for its physical Features. He doesn't mention any impressive buildings or its pleasant green spaces or even its solid economic foundation like we might do for our favorite city. No mention is made of its exquisite location. No, the sons of Korah, they are enraptured with Zion for totally different reasons. Verse 1, on the holy mount stands the city he founded, God founded a city there. That's what gives, its, it gives Zion its special character. God, the, the city's not praised because of its, its beauty in itself, but because someone has come and built a city there and that someone is mentioned in verse 2, the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. So this city, Zion, has importance it has value it is exalted it is to be sung about for one reason only the Lord God has come there the Lord lives in Zion the Lord loves the city of Zion well why what even is Zion well It's really a a poetic name or a nickname for the city of Jerusalem. Zion is the name of the mountain on which Jerusalem is built, so the city became known in poetry as Zion. And this city, Jerusalem or Zion, was very special to the Lord because He had chosen that city out of all possible locations to build His temple. He had chosen Zion to put his name there, to dwell there. It was there that he descended in a great cloud of smoke to dwell between the cherubim in the temple. So Zion was a magnificent place because God's magnificence literally dwelt there. And yet there's something even more wonderful and amazing about this city, for not only is it god's dwelling place but as the rest of the psalm celebrates it is also to be the dwelling place of god's people it was already a hub for activity in israel's day because the temple was there zion became the the central location for worship the people they went to the temple to meet their god in the temple, they could see God's promise to them to forgive all their sins uh, in the animal sacrifices. In the temple, they could eat a fellowship meal of peace in God's presence, very much like we're going to do at the Lord's Supper in a few moments. So, Zion, throughout its history, was always a hub of activity, a hub of faith Uh, for the spiritual life of God's people, a source of comfort and consolation because God was there. And now God is making it clear God wants His people to join Him there, to be there permanently. That's what gets the sons of Korah so extra excited in verse 3, "'Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God.'" And then it goes on, among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon, behold, Philistia and Tyre and Cush, this one was born in Zion, was born there. The psalmist is describing how people are being added to the current population of Zion, and we'll come back to who those people are in a moment, but But the picture is this, God's home, Zion, is to become man's home too. God is making Zion, where He lives, the place where His people live with Him. Do you see, brothers and sisters, how Zion is a renewal of the Garden of Eden? In the Garden of Eden, God came to speak with Adam and Eve, with His people. He would walk with them and talk with them. It's a place where they fellowship together freely. And now in Zion, God is doing that again. He's he's restarting that. And maybe now we can see together that Zion or Jerusalem becomes a symbol, a symbolic way of referring to God's church. In the New Testament, we are told very clearly that the church is what? The temple of God. Since the temple curtain was torn at the death of Jesus, and since the day of Pentecost Jesus has sent out His Spirit upon His church, God no longer dwells in that stone structure or a stone structure on the physical Mount Zion. No, He, through His Spirit, fills His church. He fills His people. Right here in the gathering of the congregation, Yahweh is present, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Beloved, we are Jerusalem. We, the people, are Zion. This assembly in Ancaster and every faithful assembly of the church all over the world is Zion. All by grace. And that makes the church extremely relevant and extremely significant for us and for the world. God dwells here. This morning, our sisters will officially join this congregation, this church as God has established her in Ancaster. In leading you, dear sisters, to this assembly, God has led you to Zion. This is Zion. This is His holy city. It's not a perfect city. Not yet. But it is the real city of God. The King lives among us. The King is worshipped here in accordance with His Word. So you can know that you have come To the city of the king. You know, to a lot of people, the church doesn't seem like a big deal, does it? Even some Christians have a kind of take-it-or-leave-it attitude. Maybe I'll go, maybe I won't go, maybe I'll be a member, maybe I won't be a member. It's just kind of whatever. And to the world, to unbelievers, the the church seems like a a colossal waste of time, even offensive. We're we're all that backward religion will just hold you back. I mean, the church is so behind the times with its thinking, right? you got to get into the 21st century, say a lot of people. Unbelievers might, might look at the move that our sisters are making today, joining the church, becoming members of the church, submitting to the authority of the office bearers. They might say to our dear sisters, what a waste of time. Why join this dying dinosaur? That institution is irrelevant the church. But Psalm 87 says something totally different. The church, including this congregation, is the home of the Almighty God. The Creator of heaven and earth has set His foundation on this holy mountain, and God's foundation cannot be moved. It's immovable because God has set as cornerstone in His church, His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who purchased this church with His own blood. Something we'll celebrate shortly. The church is therefore not a minor player in the world. The church is in fact the hub of all the activity of the world, even though the world doesn't recognize it and the world ignores it, and you won't find the church and pictured in a positive way on the 6 o'clock news. But in heaven, where it counts, where the Creator is overseeing things, and as He unfolds His plan on the earth, the church is in the center. Our Lord and Savior is guiding all of history with the singular goal of gathering in His church every last one of His people from this tribe and that nation and wherever, And then He will usher in the fullness of His kingdom. That's the goal He's shooting for. So the church is relevant. It's critical. Every last one of His children will be gathered in to become a resident of Zion. And when you look at the residents of this city, that's quite a motley crew, isn't there? Mentioned here in our psalm, verse 4, among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre and Cush. This one was born there, they say. Isn't that something? He's mentioning citizens of the surrounding nations, Gentile nations, in fact, non-Jewish people. They are now said to be born again in the city of Zion. This is rather counterintuitive, isn't it? Normally, people are are rather loyal to their country of origin, aren't they? You sisters have told me that you love your home country of Iran, and rightly so, even despite all that has happened to you. The Yakub's heart is still in Pakistan when you talk to them. Even a lot of us second-generation Dutch Canadians took the Netherlands World Cup loss personally, didn't we? That kind of hurt. We have a connect to where we were born. We have a connect to our country. We don't give up that connection too easily. We tend to have a a rather fierce loyalty to our our country, to our roots. And certainly in Bible times, it would have been unheard of for a Philistine. Just think about that. A Philistine. You know the history of the Philistines, right? Right? how many wars they fought against David and Saul and other kings, it would have been unheard of for a citizen of Philistia to become a citizen of Israel, or a citizen of Babylon to voluntarily become a citizen of Israel. But Psalm 87 is saying that's exactly what's going to happen. Why? Because the Lord calls different people from those nations into Israel. His own people. The Lord's calling changes all of that. The Lord's calling in someone's life trumps all of that nationalism that comes naturally to us. And it, wants, it makes them want to be citizens of Zion because they recognize that citizenship is worth everything. And it's far greater than being a Canadian or a Dutchman or a Dutchwoman or even an Iranian. And that is all part of God's astounding church-gathering work, that He brings in people from all kinds of national backgrounds and situations to become His people, His loved people. We read about that in Isaiah 56, verse 6. God says, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant these I will bring to my holy mountain Jerusalem Zion and make them joyful in my house of prayer the foreigners will not be made to feel second-class citizens they're going to be one with the people of Israel The Lord Jesus said the same in that parable about the banquet. People will come from east and west, north and south, and will take their place at the feast in the kingdom of God with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Psalm 87 is singing the same song, uses a wonderful image. The Lord records as He registers the people, this one was born in Zion. It's like the Lord is a clerk tabulating where people were born. This one was born in Zion. Oh, your birth certificate may say born in Iran or born in Pakistan or born in the Netherlands or born in Canada, but by the power of the Lord, many people from every nation and tongue will be born again in Zion and will be His people. Everybody needs to be born again Spiritually, when we are born into this world physically, our spirits come naturally with sin. They're filled with sin. All of us are born with a rebellious heart that by nature has no use for God, doesn't even want God. When the Lord Jesus comes along and plants faith in our hearts and sends His Spirit to live inside of us, then the rebellious heart is broken and we become willing servants of the Lord. The blood of Jesus has paid the penalty for our sins and the Spirit of Jesus comes to live in us and give us a new life so that we begin to love God with all our heart, we begin to love our neighbor, and we fight against that natural sin that lives in us and we begin to live joyful, thankful lives more and more all in obedience to our King. That's what we're going to be celebrating and commemorating as we take the bread and drink the wine. We do that so that we are comforted in our salvation and also encouraged and motivated to live more and more a godly life to the glory of our King. And did you notice who is included in these residents undergoing this wonderful translation or er, transformation verse 4 mentions some names rahab and babylon rahab is an old poetic name for egypt so egypt and babylon will come you remember egypt right the 400 years of slavery in egypt what what the egyptians did to the, Bab- to, to the Israelites, how they had their kids, their baby boys, thrown into the river to die. And the Babylonians, you remember what they did? They, they sacked Jerusalem, burned the temple, and dragged people off to exile. They crushed the people of God. Rahab, or Egypt, and Babylon, in other words, were sworn enemies of God and God's people. Is God really now going to show mercy to the Egyptians and the Babylonians? And it's really the same with the other peoples mentioned, the Philistines, the Tyrians, the Ethiopians, all of whom at one time or another had attacked or been at war with Israel. We sang about that in Psalm 83. Philistines and the Tyrians joined Ammon's tribe and the Assyrians and they had one purpose, we sang. These are the words of the nations. Come, let us wipe them, Israel, out. Let Israel be put to rout. So these people, they were bent on destroying God's people because they hated God. So, what we have in, in our psalm is the truth that on, while well, on the one hand, it, God will certainly destroy His hardened enemies, all followers of Satan, symbolized by these nations, yet yet it is also true that God will, with, with incredible mercy and compassion and incalculable grace, He's also going to save His elect from those enemy nations bring me my Babylonians go out to the Egyptians go out to the highways and the byways and fetch me my chosen ones from east and west north and south they shall all be born again in Zion says the Lord I will make it happen foreigners and former enemies will become my sons and daughters in zion you can't believe it but it will happen and it is happening look at us who are we you know who we are descendants largely of dutch germanic folk that means a lot of us come from the north in biblical language we come from the Germanic tribes of Europe who historically never knew the Lord we worshipped false gods by bowing down to oak trees that's what we did we were enemies of God we had no use for Jesus Christ the Kohulat family comes from the Middle East, out of the Persian people. The yakubs they come from the Far East in Pakistan. None of us are Jews, as far as I know. None of us can lay any claim to God's covenant with Abraham. We are all outsiders. We are all Gentiles. And by nature, we were all enemies of God. But God has brought all of us inside, inside His one city, Inside His one church so that each of us joined here in true faith. Of each of us it may be said, this one and that one and that one and that one, all were born in Zion. Do you see, brothers and sisters, just just by looking around the congregation, okay, thinking about who we are, do you see the incredible, incredible grace of God at work Here. Have you felt the Lord at work in your life, in your heart? Do you see His power busy in this city of Zion? Then take heart and be confident as a resident of Zion, for your God stands watch as protector, as we'll sing from Psalm 48, walk around Zion's citadels, Count her towers and crinels, See her walls, her strong foundations. Tell the coming generations, such is God, our God forever. Our guide will leave us never. Amen.